the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everybody. We're happy to be with you again for another episode. Recently, something happy happened. Uh, one of your favorite artists came out with a new yeah. album. Yeah. Springsteen. Yeah. What do you know about that? What can you tell us? Well, the album is called Letter to You, came out a few weeks ago. And, you know, Springsteen is now 72. He's been making music for over 50 years. That's the span of my life. Mm -hmm. And it's really fun. I was actually reflecting with my, with our son, Thomas, the other day. He said, you know, it must be cool to have an artist that you've journeyed with practically your whole life and mm -hmm. he's still making new music and I said yeah it is mm -hmm. it's it's hard for me to think back on my I really can't can't quite do it thinking back on my life without Springsteen I often tell the story in my talks and I've written about it in books and blogs of the first time I heard Springsteen on the radio in 1978 I think it was mm -hmm. and he was singing Born to Run and it just cracked something open in my heart and it 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 got me running towards something <laughs> and really it became part of my journey to the lord and to have this album come out called letter to you he's he's gotten the e street band back together he came out with a, a solo album a year ago which had a different almost western feel to it, it was called western stars and i enjoyed that but i i I prefer the E Street Band. Mm -hmm. Something interesting in this album, he's now in his early 70s, and he's reflecting on his own mortality. He's reflecting on, um, there's faith in there again. You know, he has uh, Catholic roots. He, I don't think he would consider himself a practicing Catholic, but he says the Catholic imagination got into him, and he sings of, he sings of redemption. He sings of Faith, one of these songs on the album is called If I Were a Priest. And it's actually a song he wrote in the early 70s. There are three songs on this new album that are being re-released or re-recorded for this new album, you know, 50 years after they were written. And a friend of mine said he, he believes this is kind of a, a way of Bruce looking back at the whole span of his life because he's preparing... For death. Um, not that he, I hope he doesn't die anytime soon, but he's in his mm -hmm. 70s. And, and the album is full of those kind of questions about yeah. life after death. And one of the songs is called I'll See You in My Dreams. And it's a reflection on, is there an afterlife? Uh, are we just dreaming about this? Am I only going to see you in my dreams? Will there really be a place where we'll see one another? Another song is called Last Man Standing. And it's about the fact that his first band he was in when he was a teenager all the members have now died, and he's the last guy still alive. And this has caused him really to ponder the bigger, mm -hmm. those really big questions in life. I've always appreciated that about Springsteen. He ponders those big questions, and he's a great storyteller. Mm -hmm. And I, I would, you know, I'd consider uh, giving it a listen, even if you're not a Springsteen fan. Just dip into his catalog a little bit here and see what he's saying. I'm, I'm always keeping my ear open for what the secular artists are saying yeah because it's a it's a window into into what's on people's minds what on what's on people's hearts uh what stirs them what motivates them what confuses them what 
um, angers them, what mm -hmm. awakens their passions. And I'm a student of the human heart. I want to know what people think. I want to know how to speak to, to hearts. And yeah. I've learned a lot from these artists because they, they're an honest musician, for, like a Springsteen. I consider him an honest musician. He's a guy who's going to open up his heart, look at what's going on in there, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he's going to put it out there. And I find that of great value. Yeah. I watched with you that um, a documentary about yeah. this album, and it was something that struck me at a certain point. He was talking about himself in the 70s. Yeah. He's talking about his entry into the music world yeah. and the passion inside him. And one of the things he said was, I wanted to change your life. Yes. And I remember hearing, I, you know, watching that and I heard him say that. I thought, and he did. Yeah. He really did. He That's pretty changed neat. mine. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I think it goes without saying, but I'll say it just in case there may be people other. Well, what about Springsteen's politics? I, okay. I don't, because I like these artists doesn't mean I like everything they right. stand for and everything they, they believe in. Uh, the wheat and the weeds grow together in all of us. You know, there are plenty of weeds in my life. Uh, and if you like this podcast, well, you, you also got to deal with the fact that you and I are broken human beings, Wendy. There's no such thing as, you know, you can only listen to something that's 100% pure because <laughs> there's no such thing because the people who make it are, are not 100% pure. So that's so just true. life. That is. Well, what can you tell us about what's going on with the TOB Institute? Yeah, there's a few things on the horizon. Uh, we are doing live courses, even in the midst of COVID. We're at half capacity at the retreat centers where we go. Mm -hmm. But we have a couple on the horizon. We have Bill Dunahee's going to be teaching his Way of Beauty course oh, yes. in January mm -hmm. here in Pennsylvania at Black Rock Retreat Center. And that's it's, it's Way of Beauty is the subtitle. The overarching title is Theology of the Body and Art. Mm-hmm. So there we are talking about art with music. Yeah. Uh, Bill Dunahy, dear friend and colleague of many years at the Institute, he has such a gift to break open art, whether it's music or painting or movies mm -hmm. or literature, poems. Uh, I've taken this Way of Beauty class, and it cracked my heart open. And yeah, if, if you're out there considering... Uh, wanting to come to a course that we offer at the Theology of the Body Institute, the Way of Beauty would be an excellent, excellent entry point. There are only a few spots left on that course in mm -hmm. January, so if you're interested, click the link in the show notes to learn more. I'm going to be teaching a Theology of the Body Level 1 course in Florida in February. Oh, yeah. And you like that, and I want to take you with me, Wendy. I would love to go. Because it's warm yes, in Florida, and it ain't right. warm in Pennsylvania. In February. Exactly. That's why I want to be there. Thank you. And that one is almost sold out, too. We do have a, a, a handful of spots left. So if you're interested in getting away to sunny Florida in February, check out the link in the show notes to register for that course. That will fill up very soon. Mm -hmm. So Very good. Yeah. Shall we get to a question? Yeah, let's do it. This first question is from Michael. He hey, says, Michael. Uh, Hello, Christopher and Wendy. Thank you so much for all the work that you two do with Theology of the Body and this podcast. You are welcome, Michael. He says, it has brought me closer to God. Just listening to you two talk about all these topics. I'm going to start reading Theology of the Body for Beginners this week, and I'm pretty excited. Do it, do it, do it. In one of your podcasts, Christopher had a quote from St. Augustine, I believe. Uh, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. 
and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Yep, very famous quote from Augustine. Michael says, that is a super awesome quote and made my heart so happy. Mm. Where does that quote come from? So I can maybe look more into St. Augustine and his writings. Yes, that comes from the Confessions. It's right in the opening section of Augustine's Confessions. And it's probably, it's probably, <laughs> it's in the top five of most quoted saint lines, mm -hmm. uh, in my estimation anyway. Mm -hmm. And it really does, uh, I I remember a few years ago, I heard Bishop Barron say, it really does summarize brilliantly 2,000 years of what the church has been reflecting on about who the human being is. Mm -hmm. It tells us who we are. It tells us what a human being is. What kind of being are we that only God can satisfy our mm -hmm. hunger? What does that make us? Who are we? You cannot say that about a squirrel or a dog or a, a, a rock or a bush. Uh, we are these weird creatures that have a hunger for God. Yeah. And nothing, nothing, nothing can satisfy but God alone. And that puts us in a posture of faith or the lack thereof. Um, faith is really, uh, this is John Paul II's definition of faith, which I, I love very much. Faith is the openness of the human heart to God's gift. And what is God's gift? and infilling with himself. Mm. And then we're back to Augustine. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless till we rest in you. Uh, without faith, without a belief that God wants to feed that hunger, the only two other options are to repress that hunger, pretend it's not there, which doesn't last very long because it comes back with a vengeance when we try to squash it. Or we try to fill that hunger for the infinite with finite things. And we get a little momentary satisfaction here or there. But in the end, it's, it's a recipe for addiction. I talk about this a lot, as you know, Wendy, that the th a theological definition of addiction is this. Addiction happens when we aim our desire for infinite joy at finite pleasure. We get a little semblance of satisfaction, but it doesn't give us what we really want, so we think we need more, we go and we get more, doesn't satisfy, we go and we get more, doesn't satisfy. This is not a life of happiness. Augustine is just such a man. He pursued every pleasure that the world had to offer, and in the end he realized, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and my heart's restless till I rest in you. But he also came to see, and this, this unfolds beautifully in the uh, Confessions as well, that the very things that had for a time taken him away from the Lord or been a distraction to his pursuit of the Lord, the Lord brings us back to those things that we were attracted to in the natural world, and we come to see them sacramentally as God really means them to be. We, In other words, we come to see the pleasures of this world as so many little signs mm -hmm. that are meant to point us to the eternal satisfaction we're made for. And here's a way to put it succinctly. We only get in trouble with the pleasures of the world when we expect them to do what they can't possibly do. They cannot fulfill that hunger. What they can do is give us a little glimmer, a little taste, and awaken our hope for the satisfaction that lies in eternal union with the Lord. I think when we think about St. Augustine, one of the striking things is how he 
is such an early Christian yes. author who writes about so many things in in more detail than you find them, say, in the New Testament, more detail about his own life and struggles. And we find ourselves relating to him and seeing this man experience such tremendous healing in yeah. his life. And it's so hopeful and so connected to like the gospel is the gospel the lord is the lord the truth is the truth like preach it wendy it's, preach it yeah it's <laughs> wonderful that that's such a gift that augustine continues to be continues to bring about conversion through his writings all these you know 1500 years later and and he's well respected in in the secular world as well the mm -hmm. confessions is standard reading in in western literature yeah so yeah, take it up. Take up a study of St. Augustine's Confessions. You will not regret it. I also thought of that beautiful Adria Saad song, Restless, oh, yeah, that yeah. she based on that yeah. line from St. Augustine. You might just find that blesses your heart just as that quote did. Yeah, look, at, look up that song, Michael, by uh, Adria Saad. It's great. So the next question is from an anonymous wife. She says, I've been hurt by pornography recently. And then when she goes on to explain how so, it's mm -hmm. interesting. I wonder mm -hmm. if other listeners can relate to her. She says, sometimes when my husband and I want to be intimate but are very tired, it is harder for him to get ready. I really understand all the physical factors that cause this, including age, and I respect it totally. But I can't get out of my head the thought that pictures from pornography he looked at would, would be able to arouse him. And I despite my efforts, have great difficulty arousing him. I would like to heal this issue in my heart that leads to this hurtful certitude. Mm. Lust feels so much more powerful than the desire to be in communion and make the gift of self. Wow. Wow. Bless you, dear anonymous wife, and thank you for your honesty. Mm -hmm. Thank you for putting into the light a, a very vulnerable a painful reality in your own life. Uh, we reverence that, and I, I think I can share a few thoughts. What what came to me as you were reading that, Wendy, was uh, lust is a depersonalization of sexual desire. Mm -hmm. And it has, uh, when it is ignited, that depersonalized, and what do I mean by depersonalized? I mean sexual arousal attraction gets detached from the dignity of the person and the call to love and it's kind of like a flash fire it comes with a uh, uh, an intensity it flares up very quickly and and the fire is hot uh, but it's gone just as quickly as well it's mm -hmm. not a lasting reality it doesn't create uh, a deep peace it doesn't satisfy our desire to love and be loved, to see and be seen. Mm -hmm. uh, she also brought up the, the reality of, of aging mm -hmm. and her reverence for her husband in his aging and how that's affecting him in the marriage bed. And that's, that's a very tender place to be. And I would say to stay on that plane mm -hmm. of reverence for your real situation with aging, with difficulty in arousal and all that comes with aging, that keeps the reality personal. You are now encountering the real life of you and your husband right. and what you're really facing. 
And the challenge in that is, can we learn how to be tender and love one another as we really are? Right here, right now with our our health issues, our age issues, struggles in arousal or whatever it may be, that, even if that didn't lead to a full sexual embrace because maybe it's not possible in the given circumstance in that moment, the readiness to be tender, the readiness to receive the other where he is or she really is, builds a deep communion if Mm -hmm. we're open to that. It demands also an incredible vulnerability. Uh, Right in that place, I think, of vulnerability and uh, reaching out to love and bless the person right where he or she is, even when it's difficult or involves suffering, there can be indeed the temptation. Wouldn't it just be easier Mm. for some quick solution here, for that that uh, fire just to flare up quickly and mm-hmm. and we could satisfy that urge and get on with life. Well, I can tell just by the way this person is uh, wording the question that she already knows that would be not the path to follow yeah. and would cause a rift, would cause mm-hmm. a real rupture in the call to their communion. I. I really think your very first words were so helpful about um, just the depersonalization that lust involves because the the tiredness that I hear, you know, as confessed, you know, in this question, I think has created a little vulnerability to um, feel inadequate. Yes, yes. And um, to recognize that, as you were saying, um, even though we're tired and maybe would like to be, you know, moving on to the part of the day where we get to sleep, <laughs> um, that temptation to think, how could this be easier, I think has caused, you know, just this wound to open up in her heart of feeling um, less than mm-hmm. these images. Mm-hmm. And so I think that realizing that she is a person and he is a person and they're coming to honor the person, even if it, as you said, even if it requires more effort, it's vastly superior to anything that results from, you know, that truly, what is truly hurtful is using another person or being used. Um, So, yeah, I just want to tell this wife, you're beautiful. Your husband loves you and all that you are doing to show your love for him and receive his love for you is beautiful to your Lord. When we've been lied to about what sexual intercourse is meant to be, you know, when we've Mm -hmm. been given that paradigm of the flash fire and we have all these images in our head from movies we've seen that, you know, they throw everything off the kitchen table and and there it is. It doesn't correspond to reality. And we can be tempted to think, as you were saying, Wendy, that there's something wrong with me. I'm inadequate. I'm not measuring up to what the culture has told me, what Mm -hmm. pornography portrays. This is why pornography is such a wrecking ball 
to authentic marital intimacy because it it trains us in anything but, and it creates expectations that do not correspond with real human beings. Um, so I, my prayer for this wife and for this husband is that they would learn the ways of loving your spouse as a person right in front of you as you really are, as each of them really are. Uh, that is a challenge. And yeah, when we're faced with the challenge, it's tempting to look for easy outs. And pornography is always an easy out. You get all the pleasure without any of the challenge. That's the allure of pornography. Mm -hmm. And really, it's the allure of all sexual sin. You can have the ecstasy without the agony. That's the temptation. You can have the joy without the sorrow or the suffering. You can have the resurrection without the crucifixion. That's the promise of sin. That's always the card the devil plays. You can have it without the cross. Uh, rebuke it. The, rebuke that lie. It is not true. It is in and through the way of the cross that we learn to love as we're called to love, and we find the real joy we're looking for. Mm -hmm. This question is from Amy. Hello, says, Amy. Amy says, my three-year-old is in a habit of self-stimulation. I understand this is not necessarily a moral issue at his age, but I did the same thing in childhood and have had to work through some negative effects because no one helped me walk through it when I was young. Then when I was older, I was told that masturbation is completely normal, even expected. His pediatrician has told me to just tell him to do it in private. I want to know how to protect him, how to talk with him in an age-appropriate way about his body, and how to set him up for a beautiful understanding of the fullness of God's creation later on in life. My husband and I typically just gently redirect him by saying, your body's good. You need to respect your body. What should we say or do in your opinion? Well, Amy, I think you're off to a, a, a great start with what you're already doing. Um, affirming the goodness of the body, mm -hmm. uh, affirming that our genitals are holy. They're not only good, they're holy, they're sacred. And we want to show special reverence and honor to that which is especially good, holy, and sacred. Uh, I, I wouldn't be overly concerned about it if it, um, at, especially at that age, uh, there's not a moral fault, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to be so focused on it that it almost could add to the preoccupation that a little person might have yeah. already. Uh, I think distraction is helpful, but always in the context of your body's good, your body's beautiful. There's a reason God made you this way. I remember with our own children having various conversations along these lines that. Um, your body's not a toy to play with. Um, God made you to be a boy or God made you to be a girl uh, to learn what it means to love. And when you get to be a man or you get to be a woman, you may be called to the sacrament of marriage and called to give your, the expression we've used with our kids is uh, you, you're called to give your body away in love one way or another, whether you're called to marriage or you're called to a consecrated celibate vocation, one way or another, we're called to give our bodies away in love. So that's the language that we used with our kids. Uh, I think it's very important to use proper names for proper body parts. Um, we can 
sometimes show our own fear or ambivalence about the body when we start making up strange terms or using slang terms. Um, and I'm all for, you know, an appropriate level of, of humor and levity in this regard as well, you know, talking with my boys about their manhood and, and how we do that, we can have a good old time about it and laugh too. That's, that's great. But I, I think slang is a revelation of fear and ambivalence that we often have about our bodies. If you cannot say the word penis or vagina or clitoris without blushing or getting really uncomfortable, then that would be something to take to the Lord and say, Lord, why? Why can't I talk about this without getting really uncomfortable? Uh, we have to find ways as parents to speak forthrightly, clearly, sensitively, openly, uh, helpfully with our children, even at age three, when you're finding a, a boy or a girl stimulating themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sort of thinking about that pediatrician's advice to tell the child yeah, yeah. to do that. It's only to be done in your own room or something. And I do it privately. Yeah. yeah. The, the caution I feel is that like the child gets the message to withdraw from people somehow when I, I like what you said about distraction, like, well, let's just do something different right, right. now that's interesting and pleasurable, sit together and read a book or come here, you know, um, stand by me in the kitchen, we'll do this together. Something that just kind of includes and brings closeness rather than, you know, feeling sent away to kind of comfort oneself. Yeah, that would, that, that would not be, I, I do not agree with what your pediatrician is saying. Uh, that for on a, on a whole number of levels, because number one, it's encouraging the behavior. It's encouraging withdrawal. Uh, I think in this context, one other element that is very important is to begin instructing your children on the purpose of sexual pleasure. They're already experiencing it. They wouldn't be stimulating themselves if they weren't experiencing pleasure from it. And this is a beautiful open door to talk about why God gave us genitals and why it's pleasurable. It's pleasurable because it has to do with our call to love in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And learning to love in the image of God is an invitation, as Jesus himself says, to the full joy of God's life. Love one another as I have loved you. I tell you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. My goodness, if I could have been educated, even at uh, that kind of a young age, in an age-appropriate way, you don't have to get into all the details, but something like, uh, I understand why you want to touch yourself there, because it feels so good. Uh, let me explain to you a little bit about why God made your body to feel so good right there in that spot. Uh, that place of your body that's your penis, or if you're talking to a girl, that's your vagina, and that, that's your clitoris, and use the proper terms, and talk about the pleasure is given to us by God, or our bodies have this capacity to have this pleasure, to be the pleasure of loving as God loves. And as you get older, I'll be sharing more with you about what that means. But the thing to understand right now is that that pleasure that you can experience is a gift from God, but it has to be understood and, and 
embraced in the right way. And I want to teach you as you get older more what that means, mm -hmm. something along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's an open door to begin having honest conversations about God's beautiful mm -hmm. design for our bodies. I'll hold out a resource here as well. Our, our friends, the Pop Shacks, Greg and Lisa, have written a book called Beyond the Birds and the Bees. And it's a guide for education in the family on God's plan for human sexuality. Mm -hmm. And they have lots of prax practical tips and stories that that uh, you'll find very helpful. Yes, that's a great point that there is more to read on this topic and help you to figure out what what um, you know developmental level your child is in and what you can say when. That's a great yeah. Thought. An anonymous listener has asked, um, could you describe the role of main intercessor that you mentioned in a podcast? What does it mean, and how can I be the main intercessor for my spouse? Yes, we've used this expression that, Wendy, you're my main intercessor, mm -hmm. and, and I'm your main intercessor. And by that, we mean that it's incumbent upon our vocation as husband and wife to learn how to pray for one another mm -hmm. and that as husband and wife we have the main role of being the intercessor for the other to to help the other grow in holiness that's really mm -hmm. at the heart of what the marital vocation is and there's no growth in holiness if people aren't praying for us mm -hmm. and it, it's interesting to see how the body of christ all the members of the body of Christ need one another in this growth towards holiness. And you and I, Wendy, as a married couple, we're a little domestic church. So we're at, we are the church in miniature. And the one of the great gifts and charisms in the life of the church is intercessory prayer. And when we get married, we are taking on that role for one another. That's what mm -hmm. we mean by it. Do you want to add mm -hmm. anything to that? Uh, sure. I think the longer we're married, the more we become the person that knows our spouse better than anyone else. Than anybody else, yeah. And so knowing the need for specific areas of growth or healing or consolation in one another's um, lives, the challenges that um, the other one is facing that we, because we know the other so well, have just the responsibility as a Christian to be praying for those things that only we know about. Um, also, I've been so honored all the times that you've come to me to tell me about something, maybe a difficult decision or a meeting that you're concerned about, um, even an area of temptation and to say, you're my, you say to me, you're my main intercessor and I ask for your prayers or, or, you know, things that you've talked to your spiritual director about. And he said to you, talk to Wendy and have mm -hmm. her pray about it. Mm -hmm. There's something very beautiful about sensing that you have this important role in the other one's life. And I can say too, and I, I think you've experienced this as well. There are times when intercession, meaning praying for the needs of someone else, almost comes upon me in in an unexpected way. Yes. And um, I don't know if anybody else has experienced this, but maybe look for it in your life if you're a married person, where there'll be times when you're working or in a meeting and I'll begin to feel something. I'm not with you. We're not talking. Right. Maybe I feel in my own day so frustrated, like 
nothing is working out in what I'm trying to do. And it's an like an unusually noticeable feeling. And it will occur to me to pray for you in your meeting. And later we'll talk. Oh, I was feeling so frustrated, like yes. I was banging my head against a wall in this meeting. And think, wow, that was right when I felt that at home. I just consider that God's grace at work in our marriage. And I receive it and try to be tuned into it in our in our lives and in our relationship, that there are ways in which God has so wants us to be able to fill that role of intercessor that he actually gives it to us without us even yes. realizing it. Sometimes. I'm glad you brought that up, Wendy, because I would imagine a lot of listeners out there, just as uh, I remember us going through this, where we didn't know what those things were. You know, they, there would be these inexplicable... Strong feelings. <laughs> strong feelings we would <laughs> yeah. have that would come out of it seemingly left field. Yeah. And then with good spiritual direction, we were learning that, you know, nine times out of ten, uh, that's probably an invitation to intercede for someone who's feeling what you are feeling. Mm -hmm. If you're having some frustrating feeling or angry feeling or even a lustful temptation feeling, but you're, it's like, you don't see where it's coming from for yourself, yeah. then it may very well be that you are carrying that burden for someone else. And if you're a married person, it, chances are you may be carrying that burden mm -hmm. for your spouse or for mm -hmm. one of your children. And just another thing as main intercessor that I try to do is if I have um, suffered something in our relationship, even if I didn't think to pray about it at the time, to, to go back and when I am praying for you, to offer those things to the Lord as a gift, you know, that offering up of sufferings so that so that he can use even things from the past that I'm still holding in my heart. If I offer them at, when I'm praying for you, that that is fruitful in praying for your healing and my own as well. I have learned this way of intercession largely from you, Wendy. I, you, you, you're better at it than I am. I think you do a better job with it where you have a, a a disposition towards it that comes more naturally. I've had to learn more from you how to be your intercessor, but I'm, I'm very grateful for what I've learned from you. Thank yes. you, my love. Thank you. Thank you for all your prayers for me. You are welcome. Mm. To all of those out there who are blessed by what you're hearing in our podcast today, I would invite you to click that share button. You know somebody who needs to hear what you've heard today. Help us get the word out about this podcast. And if you have been blessed by the work we do here at the Theology of the Body Institute, would you prayerfully consider becoming a patron of this work? You can click the link in the show notes to learn more. We can't do this work without the support of those who believe in what we're doing. We're so grateful for you being our faithful listeners. We're so grateful to be in this relationship with you. Can't wait to be with you again in our next episode. Until then, know that you are an unrepeatable gift of life and love. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.